going to indulge a little bit of a, uh, a pastoral moment here. I'm going to step over here and uh, put my hand on Chris's shoulder. He just got news earlier uh, today that his dad, who has been battling cancer, is getting very close to the end. And uh, so pray for Chris. He's leading tonight. He'll lead tomorrow morning and uh, probably sometime tomorrow we'll need to make an eight-hour trip and uh, it'll be a, be a tough, tough time for him. Thanks, Chris, for uh, putting yourself out there for us tonight. And I know it was tough, but yeah. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for, for Chris's self-denial and his uh, spirit here to lead us tonight and prompt our worship when his own heart is heavy. I pray for his family. I pray for his dad. I pray for Chris to be the wall, the strong wall that many in the family can lean against during this difficult time. I thank you for the rock under his feet, the Lord Jesus, and uh, for our faith for times like this. In Jesus' name. Well, I remember as a young man of age 16, I was sitting in the audience at a youth rally in Bloomington, Illinois, and the speaker that evening preached from a passage in the Psalms, specifically Psalm 119, verses 59 and 60. I have considered my ways. I have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. For some reason... For some reason, that scripture on that night was engraved on my conscious mind. And you might say it was a moment of truth for me. It was the time when I became fully aware that I needed to take my faith in Jesus Christ more seriously and more personally. Before that, I was a pretty carefree and superficial kid. Basically, I had been living off the vitality of my parents' newfound faith. I was regularly in church, but it was more because of their example and because of their insistence than anything else. And it wasn't that I never had a deep thought. I did. But I was just more interested in school and sports and scouts and friends and music and making money. Nothing really bad here. In fact, some of it even quite good. But I know now, looking back, from a much more mature perspective. But I was missing out on the better thing. I was missing out on the best thing. So this weekend and next, I want to try to recreate for you the same moment that I had as a 16-year-old. And if you've already experienced it, I want to affirm you on your journey. I want you to think about your life path, the path you are walking right now. I think that most people are not very introspective. I think that most people resist self-inventory. We get caught up in life and living, so we don't ask ourselves the hard questions about our inner life, questions like, who am I, and where am I going in life, and what am I becoming? 
So today and next week, I want to talk to you about two life paths. Charles Murray was a student at the University of Cincinnati, a high diver, preparing to compete in the 1968 Olympic Games. During his training, he became friends with a fellow student who had been witnessing to him about Jesus. Now, not being reared in a Christian home, this was all new to Charles, especially the truth claims from the Bible about sin and his need for forgiveness. Well, the day came when his friend put the question to him. She asked if he was ready to trust Christ as Savior and Lord, and his verdict was, no, not now, not yet. Well, in the days following that conversation, Charles avoided that student, but he was also quietly considering his ways. And because he was training for the Olympic Games, he had special privileges at the university pool facility. Late one evening, he decided to swim and practice his dives. The university pool was housed under a ceiling of glass panes. And that night, he chose not to turn on the lights, but to just allow the moonbeams to illumine the pool area. Charles climbed to the highest platform to take his first dive. And as he stood on the platform backwards, he spread his arms to get his balance. And staring at the back wall, he saw his own shadow in the light of the moon. It was the shape of a cross. And in that moment, Charles Murray was overwhelmed by the reality that Jesus died for him in his place on the cross, and it broke him. And he sat down on that platform and began to pray for the first time in his life. Suddenly, the lights in the pool area came on and a facility attendant was making the rounds to check the building. And Charles looked down from the diving platform and he saw that the pool had been drained for repairs. He would have plummeted to his own death, but providentially he decided in a moment of surrender to take a new path for his life and his future and without even realizing, Charles Murray chose life instead of destruction. He considered his ways. He turned his steps. He didn't delay to obey another day. Well, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount, and as he does, he impresses on his listeners that it's decision time. It's time to make a choice. He said, in effect, now that you've heard all these things that I've said about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. Will you obey them starting today? Will you begin your journey to heaven today? Will you become a loyal and a committed follower of mine from this day forward? Take a look at his words. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, 14, verse 21 to 23. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, 
I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, the four lessons we learn from the words of Jesus here are life-changing, they are life-directing, and they are extremely sobering. <laughs> because he tells us, first of all, that there are only two paths in life. And he described one as the broad way and the other as the narrow way, and we're automatically attracted to the positive implications of the broad road versus the negative implications of the narrow road. Notice there is no third way. There is no alternate route. If you don't like either of these two options, you cannot mark none of the above. As Jesus talked about these two life paths, he thought of all mankind as being in one of two groups. He never divided people on the basis of their nationality or their skin color or their social standing or their education. He divided people exclusively on the basis of the spiritual path that they chose to travel. Proverbs 16, verse 25 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. There are only two paths. Now think about the biblical implications. This means that there are two ways to heaven. There's man's way, good works, and then there's God's way, being born again. Man attempts to make himself equal with God, in effect to be his own God, to be accountable only to himself, to engineer and construct his own way to heaven. It's called humanism. And ironically, humanism has spawned only suffering from the Garden of Eden forward. But if a man acknowledges that God is sovereign, then he must submit to God. And Jesus said on the day of judgment, many would appeal to him for salvation on the basis of what they had done. And it's an impressive list. Prophesying or, or, or preaching, casting out demons, that's impressive. Performing miracles, impressive. They felt entitled. They felt that God owed them on the basis of their good works. His response, I never knew you. Away from me. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Man's way to heaven is through his own goodness, without dependence on God. But listen, we don't earn eternal life. We inherit it. We inherit eternal life. We never earn it, and we inherit it when we die to ourselves and we live for Jesus Christ. So many people will take man's way to heaven, but it's a dead end. The fact that there are only two paths also means that there are two ways to happiness. There's man's way to happiness, give me the world, and God's way to happiness, give me your life. Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a wealthy farmer who had the resume to congratulate himself. He had the resources to indulge himself, and he did. He was successful in amassing huge profits, through his agribusiness, he was wealthy, he was creative, he was enterprising, intending to tear down 
perfectly good barns so he could build bigger ones. He enjoyed financial independence. He enjoyed perpetual rest and relaxation. He indulged himself with the best food and drink. He partied nonstop as a VIP at all the nightclubs. Just one problem. He was not rich toward God. He considered his life to be his. Listen, friends. The world will try to seduce you into believing that happiness comes when you drive the luxury car, when you live in the McMansion, when you spend without ever turning over the price tag to see how much, when you take all the exotic vacations and all the rest. But God's path to happiness is to lose your life. And some may even conclude that you hate your own life simply because you do not, you do not share in their worldly values. Do you remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 32 and 33? He said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. You know the story. Lot's wife looked back at the prosperous and immoral city of Sodom with longing. That had been her home. That's where she had lived. She looked back with longing, and she lost her life because of worldliness. The world does not deliver happiness, but emptiness and disillusionment. Where was the happiness in Voltaire. He was a devoted infidel. He, he wrote, I wish I had never been born. Where was the happiness in Lord Byron? He lived a life that was devoted to pleasure. And he wrote these words, The worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. Where was the happiness in Jay Gould? famous American millionaire. He wrote, I suppose I am the most miserable man on earth. Where was the happiness in Lord uh, Beaconsfield, a man of rare position and fame? He wrote, youth is a mistake, manhood a struggle, old age a regret. Where was the happiness in Alexander the Great? He was endowed with historic military glory, but he wept as he lamented, there are no more worlds to conquer. Where then is happiness found? It is found in Jesus Christ alone, who said in John 16, 22, I will see you again, and you will rejoice. And no one, no one will take away your joy. Well, two paths also means there are two ways to build your life. There's man's way which is to build on the sand, and there's God's way, which is to build on a rock. Now, this is actually spelled out in a handful of verses right after the text that we just read together from Matthew 7. It says that if we hear and obey the words of Jesus, we're like a wise builder who builds his house on the rock. But if we hear the words of Jesus and disobey them or disregard them, we're like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And when the rains come and when the streams rise and when the winds blow and beat against the house, build on the rock, why, it'll stand. 
while the house built on the sand will collapse. And the fact that there are only two paths means that there are only two ways to die. There's man's way, which is to die alone. And then there's God's way, which is to die in the Lord. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus discloses the biographies of two men, a rich man whose name were never told, and Lazarus, a poor beggar. One man lived his life for himself, fared sumptuously every day. And the other man lived a life of deprivation, completely dependent on the Lord, completely dependent on the benevolence of compassionate others. Well, at their deaths, everything gets inverted. The rich man is in torment, extreme torment. Lazarus was in paradise. It's a graphic illustration of the fact that we will either die alone or we will die in Jesus Christ. These two ways to die are the only two ways to die. Two ways to die, two ways to build our lives, two ways to happiness, two ways to heaven ultimately present us with a choice of only two paths. We can walk in this journey of life, the Broadway, the Broadway that leads to destruction or the narrow way that leads to life. Well, we can also see from Jesus' words here in this passage that there are only two gates. There are only two paths, and there are only two gates. They're described by Jesus as being wide and narrow. I suppose if you want to enter the wide gate, well, then you can bring along whatever you want. There's no limit to the amount of baggage you can take on your life journey, so you don't have to leave anything behind. Your bad habits, take them with you. Your grudges, Take them with you. Your prejudices, sure thing. Take them with you, especially your secret sins. Because the gate's wide. But in contrast, Jesus said, finding the small gate requires a search. He says you've got to look for it. And you have to be alert to find it. And then you discover that you are the only thing that can get through the narrow gate. To enter it, you've got to leave everything behind. It's just big enough for you <laughs> and nothing else, just you. On April 26, 2003, Aaron Ralston, 27-year-old mountaineer and outdoorsman, set out on a day of adventure without telling anyone where he'd gone. And while climbing, he dislodged an 800-pound rock that trapped his right hand against the canyon wall for the next 127 hours, five days. He was literally trapped between a rock and a hard place, and he actually wrote a book about the experience by that title, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. Finally, in that crevice of a canyon, alone by himself, with his hand trapped, unable to dislodge it after 127 hours, he had a conversation aloud with himself. 
You're going to have to cut your arm off, Aaron. I don't want to cut my arm off. Dude, you're going to have to cut your arm off or you will die. And you know the rest of the story. He did it. He amputated his own arm with a rusty pocket knife and no anesthetic. And here's the application. Your spiritual life may depend on making sacrifices to get through the narrow gate so you can get your feet on the narrow road that leads to life. So, what might you have to amputate? What might you have to cut off from your life today in order to truly follow Jesus? Well, moving on, there are only two crowds, just two crowds. Jesus talks about them. He talks about the many and he talks about the few. Now, many have entered the wide gate and are walking the broad way, and a few have entered the small gate and are walking the narrow way. Now, few does not mean that there aren't going to be lots of people in heaven. There are. Revelation 7, 9 talks about the multitude that no one can count. So don't get the idea here that it's a handful. Few means something different in context. It means that as a traveler through this life, if you choose the narrow path, you will sometimes feel very alone. The narrow road can feel like a lonely road. At work, at school, especially those of you who have gotten into the college scene, social functions, and that's why our devotion and our discipline to be in church faithfully matters. See, you look around here on the weekends, and you see another 3,500-plus worshipers assembled. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to leave encouraged. But if you're only exposed to the drunken wall-to-wall crowd bumping and grinding on the beach at Daytona during spring break on TV, it can demoralize you as a Christian. And I personally think more of our high school graduates need to experience Bible college, Christian college, not only to ground them in a literate and strong faith, but also so they can experience the results of being in a community of hundreds of committed Christian young people. It changes your whole perspective. Danny Warfel was an outstanding quarterback at the University of Florida, Heisman Trophy winner, later played professionally for the Chicago Bears. You recognize that name, Danny Warfel. In 1995, while he was still playing college ball, Playboy magazine announced its intent to name Warfel as quarterback of its All-American team. And Warfel politely announced that he would not accept. Reflecting, he later said, it was something I didn't want to be part of because of my beliefs and the way I live my life. He said many are on the wide road, not me. 
I've chosen a different path. So you got to decide. You got to decide what crowd you want to identify with in choosing your life path. So, only two paths, only two gates, only two crowds, and finally, there are only two destinations. Throughout Scripture, we see the presentation of choice between two destinations. Moses acted as a spokesman for Jehovah, announcing to the Israelite nation in Deuteronomy 30, verse 15, See, I said before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live. In Psalm 1, the psalmist contrasts the way of sinners with the way of the righteous and their respective endings. It says, the way of the wicked will perish. But about the righteous, it says, he or she is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. There's a tombstone in a churchyard in Yorkshire, England with the following inscription on it. Remember, friend, when passing by as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. And underneath, someone had added, To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. Yeah. Two destinations. Only two. The rock group ACDC was never shy about which of the two roads they'd chosen. Their theme song was a 1979 anthem called Highway to Hell. It's still played on rock stations today. Listen to their description of the wide road. This is ACDC. Don't need no reason. Don't need no rhyme. Ain't nothing I'd rather do going down. Party time. My friend's going to be there too. No stop signs, speed limit. Nobody's going to slow me down. Look at me. I'm on the way to the promised land. I'm on the highway to hell. Well, in contrast to that, the journey to heaven begins with the right choice at the place where the road forks in front of us. You saw it on the slide, the title slide tonight. The place where the road forks in front of us. Robert Frost talks about it in his poem, The Road Not Taken. He writes, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere in ages and ages hence. Two roads converged in a wood. I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference so you and I stand at the crossroads and we each make our choice of paths we make our choice of gates we make our choice of crowds we make our choice of destinations 
And I know that some here tonight are looking for this fork in the road. You're looking for it. You know you need something different. The road you've traveled has not taken you where you want to go. You are seeking the road to forgiveness. You are seeking the road to new life. I wonder if that's you tonight. Some of you here tonight are learning for the first time about the presence of this intersection. You weren't looking for it, but since you've heard about it, it's a welcome surprise, and you're ready to take the narrow road that leads to life. And some of you here tonight are maybe stuck in traffic. You think your life is just too cluttered right now for you to even think about it. You're hemmed in by others going down the broad way that leads to destruction. In your better moments, you want to get on the narrow road. Well, you're just going to have to turn your blinker on, and you're going to have to go for the exit. You're going to have to cut across the traffic if you have to. And join those on the narrow way. And some of you tonight have had an accident. You're close to breaking down. Maybe it's a serious illness. Maybe it's a loss of a loved one or relational problems in the family or financial struggles. Regardless of how you got to this crossroads, how many more times will you come to this decision point? How many more times will you be in a worship service where you are called by God, prompted by His Spirit, to forsake the broad way and walk the narrow way that leads to life? Today, today, consider your ways. Turn your steps to the Lord. Hasten and don't delay. Make this your hour of decision. Make this your moment of truth. I can't believe in this assembly tonight there is not someone who is right there Will you consider it providential that you're in this assembly tonight and you've heard about the two life paths? And will you do what you know in your heart of hearts is right and best for you and all those you touch as you travel through your journey in life? Put one foot after the other. Connect with one of our section hosts or connect with us here at the front. If you're ready to make a decision about Jesus Christ or His church, or at least to have a conversation about Christ or His church here at Crossroads. We invite you to come right now while we stand and worship in this final song.